A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets the try. What a heartbreaker. MLR kickoff episode 86 with your hosts Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Hey folks, welcome to MLR kickoff Dan Power with you alongside the professor Pete Steinberg. We have a massive show for you tonight, but firstly, Pete, yes, we had a lovely weekend up there skiing with your beautiful family. Did you, uh, did you come through unscathed, buddy? Any broken bones? Came through unscathed. Um, pretty surprised that we had about 10 or 15 inches of snow this week. So it was up in Copper Mountain and, uh, um, you know, our four-year-old's getting, like, she's she's becoming a pretty good skier. She went down some blues, and she can do it, but it was a little scary. But she liked going down some greens and running through the, uh, um, running through the trees. So, yeah, we had, a, we had a really, really great weekend. What did you do this weekend, Dan? You got to call a game? I was going to say, we could have the next uh, Lindsay Vaughn on our hands. Maybe I should sign her up, take 10, 10%, 10%. friends rate, 10% of her earnings for her whole career. Uh, yeah, just, just the one game on Saturday, and... Um, Got to explore beautiful uh, Indianapolis on uh, on Sunday for grabbing a late flight out. So uh, good times. It's a good weekend of games. Um, again, yeah, we saw like a pretty unique mix, right? We saw some uh, horrible weather down in NOLA. We saw a very close to an upset in Houston, and then um, you know some real tight games. So it, it was I, it was fun watching. Yeah, I mean, I actually think Dan that right now Major League Rugby reminds me a little bit of Super Rugby in its heyday. You remember Super Rugby in his heyday? Like every game was like 30 something to 40 something. All the games were close. They were all exciting. Like, you know, there was one blowout. Every other game was competitive and all the scores are in like the high 20s, mid 30s. It's it's a, I mean, is there a more entertaining league right now? I mean, it'd be hard for press. Now, I'm not suggesting the quality of rugby is as high, but the excitement and, and entertainment is pretty darn good in this league right now. Yeah, I mean, most games are coming down to the last 10 minutes where yeah. the game is truly in the balance. And we saw some come, like Austin-Atlanta came down to the final play of final, the game. Um, play the game. We, we'll dig into that. But what about a travel tip, American Airlines travel tip? So, Anything from you? Yeah, so um, here's, here's my travel tip. When you're going up to the mountains and you're um, renting out a condo, um, it's really important that when you've got kids that you bring things that aren't fried because pretty much every, any food that you get up in the mountains is fried um, unless it's mac and cheese. So it's like mac and cheese. It's like chicken tenders, French fries. I think, I think our, um, our, you know, it wasn't the healthiest weekend for our kids while we were up there. So take something up healthy for them. That's, that's my travel tip. You save some money too, because otherwise uh, you've been bailed buying $32 chicken tenders. Like, nothing's so, less than, like the kids' meal is 15 bucks. Yeah. So no. it's crazy. 
I'll give you a t- travel tip and uh, American Airlines won't like it. Stop traveling, everyone. There's too many people at the airport again. I want to go back to where I can just get there 40 minutes before my flight, fly through security, walk to my gate, get on the plane and fly. I flew out of Denver and it was absolute chaos. It took me 25 minutes to find a park. I'm like, what is going on here? It's like pre-COVID days on the traveling again, but it's good to see people coming back and traveling. Be safe when you're traveling, folks. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was talking to a client of mine that you know used to travel a lot for work, hasn't traveled for a year and was about to go on or had just gone on their first business trip. And I was talking to him and, and he talked about anxiety and there's gonna be actually, when people start traveling again, people are gonna have anxiety. It's been a year since you've been in a place you know, part of it is concerns about the, the virus, right? And, and yep. COVID. And part of it's just like, you're not used to being around so many people, right? The whole, the last year I spent like time with our family and maybe close friends. And if you're lucky, you've had some meals outside and maybe like dispersed inside, but at no point have you been in an airport where there's hundreds of people around you. And so people should expect to have, be a little bit anxious about that. I know there's a lot of articles about sort of reintegrating back into society. Yeah, we, we, we obviously are getting tested before we can travel. Uh, so ML are doing a good job taking care of us as well. But as I was landing this weekend, I actually sneezed and people still give you the look, even though we are over a year removed. There's kind of that little like, oh my God. So will we ever be able to sneeze again and just get like a simple bless you and carry right. on with our day? I don't know, but uh, great to be back going. Well, tonight's band are brought to you as always by shopmlr.com, powered by the rugby shop. And Pete, you know I'm coming to you. I'm going to come to you. What's the special? What are they running? Um, uh, I have to just. I have to, I have to look it up. I have to, I have to see what the special is. Um, so they've got uh, an April fan bundle builder. Yeah. So you can add T-shirts. You can add different items, um, and you can create your own little bundle at shop shopmlr.com. Very cool. So, little bundle. Yeah. I like it. I like it a um, lot. Custom face masks as well. So like talking about sneezing, if you want to sneeze on, on an um, airplane, you can now have your MLR team um, face mask. Or you can have a team you don't like and sneeze into that. It's like, uh, like yeah, take that. <laughs> so, well, we got yeah. a lot to, to break down, um, including, as always, the professor's breakdown, which has uh, become a fan favorite. Uh, people just clamoring uh, to the podcast to listen to the breakdown. So we'll kick things off literally with the first game of the weekend, 10.30 Eastern kickoff, 7.30 Pacific. Uh, Seattle fans, I don't think you should be too hard on your team. The, the trouble they went through, they got flights delayed. They literally landed. You'll hear a little later in our interview with Player of the Week, uh, they landed extremely late. Friday night and had to get up obviously super early on the body clock. So, but uh, 52 to seven Toronto, they gave them a good old shellacking down there in Atlanta. Pete, what were your thoughts on this one? Well, you know, I think this was, I, I think you're right about the the challenge of the travel for Seattle. I, I, you know, at this level, I think it's very, very difficult. You know, when, when your SNC coaches are sort of managing 24 hours, before the game, right? What you eat, how much you sleep, they're monitoring all of that stuff. Um, I didn't, you know, flying in the day before, you know, playing a game at 7.30, that's just, that's a, a tough, 
it's a tough ask. So, um, but I think there are some challenges that Seattle have that that showed here. So, you know, they've made a decision, right, to go Kieran Joyce at um, 10. And, you know, he's, he's normally a center. He had a great game the week before. But this week, his lack of kicking game, I think, really, really hurt them. I think that they ended up having a lot of possession, but not possession in the right part of the field. And the arrows were just absolutely brutal, brutally efficient, right? So um, they were able to play in the right part of the field. So they, they found themselves like almost 60% in Seattle's half. So when they had a line break, that line break was often a try scoring opportunity. So um, lots of line breaks, pretty much double, more than double the number of line breaks that um, Seattle had. Um, and their defense was excellent. And Lucas Rumble had three breakdown steals. And that guy is leading the league in breakdown steals. And he's becoming a difference maker. Yeah, I don't think there's anyone playing better at the breakdown in the league right now than Lucas Rumble for the Arrows. All right, mate, let's move on now to the Quagmire Bowl. We've had a few of these uh, in the first four years. And I love a good rain game. I mean, do it takes you? you back. I do. do you? I just, it's good fun. And um this one was a good one. Now, it's, it's a Bodine Walker misconversion that is the difference, 30 to 29. Not without some controversy, Pete, as uh, JP Tuple C scores in the corner. The question is going to be, did he get it down or did the knee hit, uh, hit out of bounds first? So that's, you know, depending on if you live in the Northeast or you live in the, the Big <laughs> Easy, it's, it's where you saw the knee come down. But surprisingly high quality. There was a lot of handling errors, as you'd expect, but high scoring game. Uh, here down in New Orleans, Pete? Yeah, I mean, in, in, you know, I thought this was a really interesting game. I thought that the teams tried to play, even though the conditions were were really difficult. Um, things that really stood out for me, this is, and, and Dan, you and I have talked offline, and with Aaron, you know, we've talked about how possession and territory maybe isn't the really real key stat you want to look at. And this is another example of a team that wins without having possession and territory. And so, you know, you can, you can look and you say, you know, that the game is really close when you look at the stats, you know, um, New England had hundred carries and uh, um, Nola had 98. Um, New England had 610 meters gained and then Nola had 607. I mean, it's like very, very difficult. Um, you know, 115 tackles made for New England, 113 tackles made for Nola. But what's the difference? Only 15 missed tackles for Nola and 28 missed tackles for New England. So when you're in a game like this, you've got some, um, you know, you can look at these differences. And I actually felt in this game, I felt that like, and, and this is sort of the challenge when you, whenever you watch Nola, they're such an almost team, right? They do some things, you're like, oh my God, they're playing some great stuff, but then they're unable to execute, execute it consistently. And on attack, one of the challenges they had is they lost the game line 43% of the time. I mean, that's some great defense launch by New England. Some of that, I think, came from like the sloppiness and ball being dropped. But this was, this was a really, really... Um, close games so you you come down to the little margins and those little margins those few extra missed tackles um you know morris lome the uh, inside center for new england missed eight missed eight tackles like you know that's just and, and i think that was a lot of jp duplessis who had a great game running through that the other thing i thought was interesting about nola we're going to talk about this 
um, a little bit later is that they switched um, Juan uh, Capiello and um, JP Duplessis, Duplessis 12 and 13, right? So they had the playmaker mm -hmm. at 12 and the striker at 13. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I thought that was a, a really, really interesting shift. But, you know, close game. Both teams, you know, would probably walk away with that um, if they lost, feeling disappointed. But, you know, it's a big win for Nola. It's important for them, I think, to get that win. Yeah, I think uh, Robbie Coleman, uh, they're missing their 10 yeah. a lot. Yeah. But uh, moving on, Utah-San Diego, 31-29 is the final That's score. another crazy game. Yeah, it, it, it really was. Um, San Diego, they returned to California, a much-needed win for them. Now, Utah lose three in a row, Pete. And um, again, and I think all three games have been – it was one point in New England. Wasn't that close in Seattle with the Seattle game, but it was close. And now this one, two points against San Diego. Uh, Utah fans must be pulling their hair out at the moment. Yeah, I was talking to a Utah fan actually earlier today. And the way I described it is that Utah are good. They're a good rugby team, but they're not so good that if they don't quite play their best, that they can pull it out. And so what we've seen over the last few weeks is some issues that Utah have had, like they had 14 turnovers. Um, they struggled in the lineout, maybe not as much as San Diego, who had real problems in the lineout. But for Utah, that they can't have that struggle. They, I don't think they have quite the firepower that um, a team like San Diego has. So they actually have to be really, really good um, in uh, – um, they have to be really good in their execution. They had a couple of lineup chances. And I think a lot of this Utah will look, I think, in the first half, right, Dan? They had some chances to score in the first half that they didn't take. And they weren't able to turn that session and territory into points. And I think that ends up being the difference in the game. I think this is one of those games that you just touched on, Pete, with territory and possession don't favor the team that won in the end. And Utah were camped inside the 22 of San Diego for long, long periods of time. Really had to work hard for any points they got. Where San Diego, you felt like if they just executed a, a couple of phases, they were dangerous and they were going to score. Um, you know, one of the big things coming out of the game was injury to Dylan Audsley. He's posted on his social media that broken ankle. So probably having surgery here in the next couple of days. Uh, speedy recovery, recovery to Dylan. It's a big loss for San Diego. Felt that was the best game I've actually seen him play up until that point. He was looking really, really good, looking more settled uh, than I've seen him, you know, in Major League Rugby, and that's a real shame uh, for a bright young talent in, in the league too. So get well yeah. soon, buddy. And, and I actually thought he played really well again. And this is going to be a theme, and we'll we'll do the deep dive. But again, it's moving a playmaker to twelve. Right. So he's he's the playmaker there. But what what Sandy what was interesting about San Diego is that in, in with the lineup that they have, they don't really have a natural kicker. Right. You could see that like Audley kicked some, Africa kicked some, um, Iglesias kicked some. Um, and that's one of the reasons why they really struggled in territory, but it meant that they had to run with the ball more. And you know, the San Diego of old, right? The Rob Hoadley San Diego played a lot of territory and led with their defense. And I think we're seeing a slightly different San Diego team um, coming out of um, uh, Zach Test and uh, um, Scott Murray. I agree. All right, LA, Houston. Now, this game kicked off during the game that I was calling the weekend. By the time we uh, reconvened and got together after the game, we pulled the game up and Houston were winning. I think it was like 12 minutes left and everyone was like, what is going on here? But... Uh, <laughs> What a performance. Firstly, what a performance from Houston 
uh, who've turned the corner from going uh, two weeks in a row without scoring a single point to a good win um, two weeks ago and then playing, you know, the, the form team of the league this close. But again, I've got to stress LA, you know, they rested some players and made some shuffles in, in the, in the side. They're still waiting for Billy Meeks to come back, but faced with adversity, found themselves down on the scoreboard, found a way to win. So, well, I mean, to be fair, when you have Matt Gitto on the bench, it helps to bring him on at halftime. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, it's like, you know, but, but you're right. They, they made, I think, a pretty calculated um, decision about this game. Um, and, you know, maybe this isn't the Houston of old, right? Uh, you know, the um, Giltinis had a lot more possession. The, what, what I really liked about Houston was that um, they were able to turn pressure into points. So they were very efficient with their, um, where they had their opportunities, Sam Windsor would kick it or they would get the try. They had to take their opportunities. And they also, I think, highlighted um, a potential weakness for the Giltinis in the scrum. And I think that the, um, I think that this might be like the scrum and the line out might be a place where um, uh, the Giltinis might have a little bit of a weakness. Now they won, Almost all of their scrums, but they didn't. They only completed sixty-nine percent, and that's a real measure of how much pressure your scrum is under. Is how many is the percentage of your scrums that are completed? Um, and they um, only had again sixty-nine percent of clean lineout. So there might be an opportunity here for teams to look and say the set piece of the Giltinis might be a place that we can that that, that we can really attack. And and I was you know because. Houston basically said, we're not going to slow down their, their offense, right? But we're just going to make sure that we score, right? And there was, there was actually a couple of examples. And I think that the uh, um, interception by um, Zach uh, um, Pangelinian um, happened from a scrum, right? It was a, it was a yep. disrupted scrum. It was a Giltini scrum. It was really under pressure, right? The ball came out a little bit slower, and that allowed Zach to get up and intercept that pass. Right, and I think that's some of the pressure that you're going to see the Giltinis um, potentially be under. Um, and I actually think that there was like a scrum right before that where Houston scored. It was like there were two scrums right next to each other that were like 14 points for for, um, for Houston. So the scrum platform, both on attack and defense, was good for Houston in this game. They got to tell you after that Austin game where Houston lost on the road in the Texas Cup, there body language, everything. It, it, like I'm like oof. But I got to give credit, you know, to Paul Healy and his coaching staff there and the leadership group within Houston to get back in and turn that around so quickly. It's been super impressive. And now they find themselves, even though they lost that game, they come away with the bonus point uh, for their tries. They find themselves in a position here with a good run of games. They play Utah on the road this week where they can make a push to, to you know, get back up into the contention there for that top two spot. So, uh, yeah, and we've said then all along, we've like, let's get through the first three or four games. These are preseason games, and then we'll know what we have, right? And so maybe, you know, the Utahs that started really well and have lost three in a row, they've all been close. And Houston, the, I mean, they won their first game, but then really struggled. Like, it's the preseason, so now we're going to start see start seeing. So I think, you know, this was a, I mean, it was, it was a great game to watch. It's like one of these examples where I talk about, yeah, because it was a high level game. There was less than 20 scrums. There was less than 20 penalties. The game moved, 
right? And there was high quality play by both teams. Yeah, 81 points total. I mean, that's a point a minute. That's enjoyable. Like, you're going <laughs> to love that. No matter as long if as you're not a defense a, coach. No, if you're a defense coach, you, you're like, I'm probably going to lose my job after this. That's right. But, uh, all right, moving on. We stay in Texas, Atlanta 15, Austin 17. Mac Mason, he gets it done. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this peep, but there's a, a piece came up from Mac's family that reached out and said their grandfather just passed away as Austin were wearing the black armbands for that. So a special moment uh, for Mac, not only winning the game, but doing it for, for his grandfather as well. So that's, it's just awesome to see. And obviously condolences to the Mason family for their loss, but what a, what a way to celebrate uh, your grandfather's life with a, with a game winner at full time there from Mac Mason, who's been playing absolutely outstanding the last couple of weeks too. Three in a row for the Gilgronies, the AGs. My AGs are on fire. These guys, I mean, I mean, like, I'm not sure how, the, how they're winning, right? Although there is, they are playing very smart rugby. So that, you know, this is an example. They had more tech possession. They had more territory. They played in the right, um, right parts of the field. But, you know, Atlanta had less carries, and almost double the line breaks. Um, Austin are not as efficient with the ball in terms of creating scoring opportunities, but they're actually very good in terms of getting over the game line and getting into their patterns. So they're one of these teams that wear you down, right? And so that's why they don't have as many line breaks as Atlanta, but they can still end up scoring points. Um, the big issue, and I think this is where the possession and territory really hurt, is um, Atlanta. Now, you know, uh, this has been an issue for Atlanta um, pretty much the whole season. They've had a couple of games where they've been okay, which has been in penalties. And so they had 15 penalties to seven penalties for the AGs, and five of them are in the ruck. Um, and that's an area that I know Scott Lawrence had problems with um, when I did their um, you know, one of their games earlier, it was a problem that they had then. And so the the penalties for Atlanta, I think, really killed them. And the AGs were able to take advantage of it. Yeah, it was a great of course, finish. Of course, like Jason Darm, who's had a great season, gives away the last penalty for the kick to win. Yes. Yeah. And you had a feeling it was coming too. Um, you just want to see those situations play out. It was a great moment. But you'd like to see it play out, ball in hand, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, but but that was a great example of how Austin played their attack, right? They kept the ball. They didn't go forward very much, but they kept the ball phase after phase after phase. And in my head, I was thinking, like, if I'm Atlanta, I'm like, no penalties, no penalties, no penalties. Like, like they, they weren't hurting Atlanta. And, you know, Jason Dom comes in on the side. All you have to do is just like, hey, let's launch. Let's not put anyone into the breakdown. Let's just make them break you know, make them break us, no, no penalties. And I think when, you know, when Dunn came in, I think he might have been like the second or third guy. It wasn't like he was the first guy into that rock. So real, I mean, you know, tough loss there. And I think a big lesson for someone who I think has been one of the stars of Atlanta. Yeah, and you just wonder that drop goal, if they don't charge it down, where was that ball going? Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, man. That, what, what a great ending. Just, just quick shout out to um, Isaac Ross for, um, for Austin, the um, the former All Black, Austin have had like I think what three locks get hurt, and he comes in and, and really active, uh, big lead on the line out, and had two of the line out steals that were really important for Austin. So look for someone like Isaac Ross to continue to um, grow into 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 the game for um, for Austin. I think we'll see more from him. 
I want to give a little shout out to Connor Mooneyham as well. Uh, oh. For all intention purposes, the offseason that kid had going from the first draft pick just up, right? And then all of a sudden the team, we're not playing this year, down, gets picked up by Austin late, probably on the outside looking in in terms of selection. He, From what I've been told down there, he's just been absolutely amazing um, in the culture down there and just worked the hardest in the room all the time. And he gets rewards. Had an absolutely unbelievable game. Go watch that try he scored. Yeah. Uh, the kick, the bounce. Every, well, every time, every time yeah. he gets, every time he gets the ball, there's a little bit of electricity, right? You're just like something's going to happen. Uh, but also, good defender made five tackles, didn't miss any tackles. Like good yep. under the high ball, can kick. I mean, this is someone that Gary Gold might need to look at. And I remember Dan, you talking about him as the first draft pick in the draft show. And I think you were you were talking about how you know he's a little bit older. Right, yep. coming coming out of um, uh, um, you know coming out of his uh, um, uh, his mission mission, right? yep. yeah, um, and so you know it was really hit the ground running. But I mean, he, he has to be on Gary Gold's radar. He has to be. I, I, I had a chat this week and said two years. He's 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 wearing an Eagles jersey. I just physically he looks bigger. He looks bigger than yep. obviously he's out of life university in a professional setup now, and life is very professional, but. Physically, he looks bigger. He looks fast. He looked like explosive. Like I said, can kick. We need yep. wingers that can kick. And, and he's got a boot on him and he, and he executes well. But yeah, good stuff. Hey, let's get into the professor's breakdown now. It was Sunday's game, New York over DC, 38-34. So we get 72 points in this game. What a, what a game that was. But tell us a little bit about the breakdown in this one. What did you see? So let's go back to... Um, you know, so what I, you know, what I really loved about this game is you had two teams that were trying to play the game differently. Uh, um, so Old Glory had sixty percent possession and fifty six, sorry, fifty six percent possession and sixty percent territory, and we're again about talking about efficiency with the ball, right? So New York are efficient with the ball um, in terms of scoring through their lineup their lineup drive best in the league absolutely but they also showed a lot of efficiency in creating opportunities in open play and i thought that um uh that troy lockyer came out and made a you know state to claim for the fullback position that you think would be crazy but if we look at the stats um new york had eight line breaks and dc had um, only three line breaks, but New York had 30% less carries. So they're getting eight line breaks from 30% less carries. Um, DC had 13 turnovers and New York's defense might be the best defensive performance of the, uh, um, of, of the weekend. They had 134 tackles. They missed 15. And um, so they were 90% tackle completion, which is really, really good. So I thought that was um, that's something that I thought really showed. So that's why um, uh, DC had so much possession because New York's defense was so good. They were really, really keeping themselves um, uh, um, like they're really holding their line. And so DC had to recycle a lot where New York were able to create breaks pretty easily. So um, a couple of things to, um, you know, to, to look at first phase line breaks, then six first phase line breaks for New York. So that's how you win the game without much possession. When you get the ball, you break the line pretty easily. And um, Troy Lockyer had two of those. Uh, 
So I thought that that was that was really important. So really, really interesting. New York, you know, we we saw them play against Atlanta, and they pretty much decided in this game that they were going to run it from anywhere. There was one penalty in the second half, and Hollingshead had the ball in his hand. They were maybe ten meters outside of their own twenty-two. They have a great line out, and he doesn't kick to touch. He taps it, and they move it wide. I mean, it's like nuts, but really good because if you looked at when they started moving it wide, when you looked at the defense, you could see what they were trying to do. They saw two players that were out. Nick Sabat has been a great um, addition. They allowed them to move Nate Brakely to six. That seemed to work really, really well. I think that's one of the things that helped them on their defense. Both of those guys made 100% of, of, of their tackles. And just you know, one more thing about New York that I thought was really interesting that I saw is that New York absolutely contested at the breakdown. They were putting guys in to slow down that um, that DC ball, and they did it. Now, when you do that, they had two or three pl- players that were in that breakdown. When you do that, you left holes on the outside, and DC must have had half a dozen opportunities where they had two or three players outside of the last defender, but New York's launch cut them off. There was one where threatened Palama had it. He had like two players outside and he just had to make the pass. It was, but the pressure that New York put on him meant that pass went behind the receiver. So really interesting choice by New York. Slow the ball down at the breakdown. To give you an idea, they had 61 defensive ruck arrivals and, um, uh, and uh, DC had 38. So they were really putting people in, um, Andy Ellis is, is really, like, you know, important there. So, basically, New York said, we're going to defend the ruck, and we're going to defend close to the ruck. We're going to take away space for Jason Robinson. You saw him have a couple of half breaks, but he didn't have really the space that, that, that he would like, and I thought that they did that. I thought they did that really well. Um, and, you know, most of New York's kicking didn't come from Dan Holland's head. Now, he had the most, but... Troy Lockyer is the fullback kick more. Um, Will Leonard had a couple of kicks, but again from the back, so they kept that ball in hand. I thought that was that was really interesting. Um, from DC side, they did some interesting things as well. Um, they actually, you know, so so Dan, if you're going up against someone who has a broken thumb, what would you do as a fly half? Probably run at them. Probably run at them, right? So you would you would run run at them, but you know what DC did is they put Robertson at the back. And they yep. moved to Ballas and they played him, they played him up a fly half in, in that first position. I thought I thought that was that was really smart. Um, but they weren't able, because the ball was slow, Tusatala and, Ro- and Robertson weren't able to get that on the front foot play, play close to the line that they wanted to. So they ended up kicking a lot more. And I think that was one of the reasons why they they had lots of that um, territory, but they weren't quite able to get into, they weren't, they weren't able to be as efficient, right? So they had some opportunities and they weren't really able um, to take them. Had a couple of, um, they had a line out, I think they had two line outs. One of them that I thought was really important that they missed. At the end of the game, there were lots of line outs that were kind of a little bit all over the place. And um, you have to say that, you know, New York, um, you know, so oh, just on, on the defense for, um, for uh, on glory, this is this is what the uh, um, midfield did. So, um, threatened Palama missed made three tackles, missed three tackles. Um, Roberts Tanana, who is not normally a thirteen, right, but made two tackles, missed four tackles. 
Um, Sam Cassano made one tackle, missed four tackles. That's what happens when you get, right, when you see those, that's where you get first phase break. So obviously a little bit of a rejigged um, midfield, I think um, DC are going to have to solve, because if they'd solved that, they'd have won the game. Right, like if they're able to just shut down and defend a little bit more effectively, there, I think, I think they um, they would have won. So, yeah, it, I mean, I thought a really fascinating game in how New York were playing. Um, I think DC. I thought I actually thought Jason Robinson played amazingly well for someone who's comes back from his thumb injury. He will he will get better. Um, he did miss a couple of kicks, kind of kind of a difference. But um, I think again, you know, we'll come back to all of these games. You can always go back and you can look where they had the board inside the twenty two and they didn't get points. Yeah, pretty pretty great uh, move tactically from New York, right? Who has the fastest ruck speed in the league? Oh, glory. Don't you yeah. No one gets the ball quicker. How do you do it? You slow the ruck down. Ruins the tempo of Old Glory. That Old Glory attack, even without DTS this year, when the tempo is up and they're moving, they're really tough to defend against. So great job from New York there to, to come in with those tactics and get the win. Uh, big win. Puts them on top of the table. And the team they will face this week is the Toronto Arrows. And the player of the week comes from that team, the Toronto Arrows. And we had a chance to sit down with him earlier today. All right, we are joined now by player of the week from the Toronto Arrows, Pat Parfrey, uh, in the running for MLR's smartest man, almost a PhD up there. Pat, thanks for joining the show, brother. How are you uh, holding up in uh, Hotlanta? I'm doing pretty good. I'd say uh, I'd say my roommate actually put uh, w- would take that roll over me anyways i know there's a lot of smart guys but he's definitely one of them who's who's your roommate just to she's yeah ben lesage he's he's definitely a hard worker on the rugby field and uh and outside of it too are you i must have broken up i said smartest uh rugby player (laughs) (laughs) sorry oh yeah no you're correct he is (laughs) no we love benny we love benny we might have to sneak him in a little later but uh this is all about you mate great performance on the weekend earned you player of the week honors uh and i guess it's almost a a bit of a welcome back to mlr for you right you won with the arrows you took a bit of time off uh, for your studies and then covid as it does gets in the way but how's it feel to be back in the arrows set up and playing rugby again oh it's awesome uh getting back to preseason was, was a joy. I've been away from rugby for, for quite a bit. So getting back in that team environment was awesome. And then uh, being lucky enough to play, um, play the game while I guess COVID's going on and there's not much we can do in Canada. We're able to set up home base in Atlanta and get some games. And so getting back now is a, uh, is a dream, I guess. Now the arrows had a slow start. Um, early, early couple of um, games that seemed to have come into the into form. Was a lot of that, that that moving? I mean, you guys literally had to up sticks from Toronto, fly down to Atlanta. I think you actually just flew down like as if it was a normal, like the day before or something, you know, or maybe a few days before. And then you're just settling in while you're trying to play games. Was that something that, that upset you guys or was it just the normal kind of no preseason trying to work your way in? What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I'd be curious with the first game. We were definitely really rusty. Um, uh not having really a preseason game, but um, it's tough to get used to living out of a hotel type of environment. So uh, we're starting to get a little bit more comfortable and hopefully, hopefully we can string a couple games together because um, we, we had a good one against DC and then obviously uh, fell short uh, by quite a bit in the second half against LA, but um, bounced back against Seattle. So we'll see if we can uh, start stringing uh, together a couple more games um, and performances and, uh, I think people are more comfortable in this Atlanta environment. 
So talk a little bit about that environment. So, you know, is it eating out every day? Does is food delivered to you guys? Do you guys have uh, like a, a room that you guys all eat? Like tell us, tell yeah, us a little bit. Give us, give us your regular day, Pat. Give us your, like, like you know, what, what a day is like for Toronto and Atlanta. Um, I guess wake, now we have a, uh, I guess, kind of better living situation. We have a team room where we can actually cook and stuff like that. So we're getting catered a lot, uh, like thanks to Bill and the Arrows. They were bringing in some food for us in the other place. Um, but now we have a new place where we can cook and uh, eat and store food and everything like that. So it's a little better. So kind of wake up, uh, make breakfast in the team room, have a coffee, do a little bit of work. And then uh, depending on what our rugby schedule is for the day, might have to do some review and then skills gym or uh, a team session. So um, like today we had, skills and gym and then in the afternoon we had a defense session all right let's talk a little bit about your performance on the weekend um is that the first time you've played at 10 30 in the morning when was the last <laughs> time you played that early i had i had a text i was like is this like under 18 or under 16 rugby for you because uh I'd, i'm wondering if the last time would have been uh kind of like national championships and under 18 where you're you're playing but uh i believe ben might have brought it up that we had a really early game in a in Uruguay one year uh it would have been like the PNC against Tonga or something like that we played yeah. like 11 o'clock or or early game like that and we I think we won we won that game too so maybe maybe the early games are uh, are good for the uh Canadians what what was the prep like like what did you do different for such an early game it's just I, I it would have been a little different for every player me and Ben were trying to wake up a little earlier um eat some food earlier and then we had some earlier training sessions and captain's run was obviously early um i feel for the seattle boys because they flew in at i think i think their flight got delayed they've got in at like 7 p.m and uh mm. didn't even get a captain's run and then they fl- i don't even think they were here for a full 24 hours before they had to fly out so i feel for those guys but um but not so much. I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy with our performance so <laughs> So let's 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 talk about um, you know the decision that uh, Chris Overthorn and, and the coaching staff had of playing you at twelve. What was the thinking behind that, and and how do you because that's not your natural position. So how do you you know um, what was the thinking behind it, and and how do you kind of prepare for playing something that's normally a little different? Yeah, um, I've I've had a couple sessions training at twelve, and in preseason we had a couple injuries at centers like. Giuseppe was coming back with a bruised knee and uh, Spencer just kind of got back the last couple of weeks. So I was kind of filling in here and there at, at 12, uh, mainly playing 15 uh, for, for the team sessions. And then last week I was mainly at 15 and then uh, Pete asked to talk to me and was like, we're actually thinking about playing you at 12. Do you, um, are, are you, do you feel comfortable at just jumping in and, uh, starting to train there and I was like yeah for sure if I if I can get in I'm more than happy to um, and I think we got some uh, comp- competition in the back line so if you can if you're asked to get start somewhere you you're more than happy to do it now now but but you bring a different skill set than many 12s right so you know a little bit more of kicking skills um, you know more of a playmaking 12 
Although I think you had something like 13 or 15 tackles. So that's probably the biggest difference is to be up close with the big boys. Is that, is that the challenge? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, uh, I definitely had a, a bunch of, I might have had a lot of tackles, but I might've had uh, a bunch of uh, a negative ones. Uh, got taken for a ride a couple of times here or there, but they, they fell down eventually. But um, in terms of like tactically, what were you being asked to do? Um, there's a, I was told at the start that there's a bit of a challenge. The Seattle uh, centers are quite big. So they were saying you got to get game line when you're, when you're meant to carry and you got to make sure you're tackling them, um, getting them down. So uh, there is a, a bit of a job to try to get our back three more touches and Benny more touches on the ball. So if I can be a link and do that as well, then I'm more than, more than happy to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think that the um, Seattle centers, you know, are basically big ball runners. Like, they play a lot of one-off rugby, one-pass hit-up, but they also struggle to defend out wide, right? And so a little bit of a better handler at 12 allows, like, Ben to have a great game, right? He had a, yeah, yeah. He had a really good game with lots of space, and it allowed he did, yeah. outside, outside backs to, to get it. Is that something that... You, I mean, is that now a position that you think you're going to carry on at? Have you had that conversation with the coaches? Um, we, we haven't talked about what the team's going to look like for this week. So I'm not sure what the coaches are thinking, if they want to keep me in there and have another crack or, or what will happen. But um, I'm more than happy to play there if, uh, if that's the option. And hopefully we can continue on. Well, let's talk about what, uh, what went down on the weekend with you, mate. Um, Seattle. Obviously, not in a good place right now. How was the communication leading into the game? What was the game plan? Uh, and what are the instructions you've kind of been given from the coach Silverthorne and teammates to kind of go out there and do this year? Well, yeah, for that week, um, we were coming off a disappointing performance and Seattle had the opposite. They were coming off of uh, beating Utah, I believe it was. And um, so they were coming on more of a high. So we wanted to make sure our defense was sound, um, uh, cover the width of the field and be able to tackle them, uh, play in the right territories using our kicking game. And um, our uh, nine was having a, a Ross. He put in a lot of good box kicks and um, put them under pressure a lot. So it helped us a lot to get that kick chase and set up our D. And then for attack, we wanted to uh, try to get quick ball and game line with our forwards and then see if we can, have our outside backs um, get their hands on the ball a lot more and they got a lot of touches. So um, hopefully we can continue doing that. Is Montero as scary in person as he looks on TV? <laughs> no, he's, uh, he's actually, he's a delight. He's hilarious. Um, so on, on this side of the ball, he's, he's a, uh, he's a good friendly guy. Does he <laughs> like the, uh, the little Nas X song named after him? <laughs> I'm not too sure. I, I, yeah. I, I, is it is it one of those things when you're doing like tackle warm-ups that people don't want to partner up with him that none of the other like everyone else is like we we were doing we were doing contact uh last week and uh at that point i was defending at 15 and he got the ball on the wing and i was like running across the field trying to be the last man it was just like this big stride monster forearm i was like oh god like trying to get get underneath him (laughs) Yeah, it better to be wearing blue and white than any other jersey. I'll say he's, yeah, he's been he pretty impressive. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of your other teammates here, mate. We do a little thing uh, called superlatives here on the show. And you're based in Atlanta, which is, of course, the home to the uh, famous TV show, The Walking Dead. So 
zombie apocalypse happens. You're in Atlanta. You can bring three teammates with you. Uh, Rick Grimes comes in. I hope uh, you watch the show. If you don't, this is kind of irrelevant. But <laughs> comes in and you've got three teammates. Just grab three teammates. Who are you taking with you to survive the zombie apocalypse? Okay, I'll take... Uh, I'll take Benny. I'll take... Rumble would be good at that. Well, he definitely would be able... Like, he's just a machine. He can just run around, get some groceries for us and some supplies, yeah. get out of there. Rumble is a scavenger. He'll he looks like to... he's been living in the apocalypse. For yeah, a while. exactly. <laughs> I think he just like randomly teleported back in from a zombie apocalypse. Who would be my third? I feel like Mike Shep would be a wicked, uh, wicked guy to have and help out in the zombie apocalypse. Just no fear. The mood. Oh yeah. Lighten the mood. No fear. Just, just living the, he'd, he'd find a way to live the life in the, in the zombie apocalypse. Once we get settled down, we'd be more like a, not like The Walking Dead, but like the uh, Zombieland. <laughs> Woody Harrelson. Uh, what <laughs> yeah, was, exactly. Uh, what was his Tennessee? Was he Tennessee? What was? I'm trying to remember yeah, what his name was. Great movie. Tennessee, ha- Tallahassee. No, no, yeah. Tallahassee. Tallahassee. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You've got me. Of course you do. You're a PhD. Almost. All right. Now let's go the uh, the social media world. Uh, you're on social media. Are you, are you on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat? What's your preferred? Uh, uh, platform I, I would say Instagram or Twitter. I, I, I favor one over the other at random times. I'm not into the TikTok yet, and the, a ton of people are, and it's super popular. But yeah. uh, every now and then I get sent them through text message, and I, I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm like, should I, should I just download this? But I'm sticking with my Instagram and Twitter. All right. So who, who is the best follow on the arrows outside of yourself on Instagram? And then who is the absolute pretender on Instagram? thinks they're a social influencer, but they're terrible. Uh, J-Mac's not here. He's a pretty good pretty good guy to have on the uh, oh, Instagram. Big, big J- fan Jamie of McKenzie. the construction. The, the construction you yeah, know. He's, yeah, yeah, if you want to know what he's doing at home, he's, uh, he's building some nice places. Uh, and who would be a pretender? I don't know who... Um, Will Kelly is a good social media guy, but I'm, I guess I got to think of a pretender. We could just throw uh, Will Kelly under the bus anyways and yeah. just say he's a <laughs> Let's just do that. Let's do that. He, he can All take right. a razzing anyways. So. All right. Mark Winokur, uh, the zombie apocalypse, claimed its first victim. He doesn't make it. You're now the GM of the Toronto Arrows. You have uh, open checkbook. Who are three players from around the league that you would bring to Toronto? Like tomorrow. Wow. Hmm. There's some. Uh, see, 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 the problem with asking. Well, will we just go question. with? Will we just go with a bunch of guys from uh, from LA? <laughs> <laughs> but the problem with asking Pat this question is that he's going to think really deeply, and he's thinking about like holes. Well, that's what team. that's what I'm trying to think. I know. Like, no, no, I, I don't. Just, I don't I don't really want to pick anybody that's in my position, so it's like no, I don't do that. <laughs> See, he's thinking about it. It's like, level. do we try to pick up Rob Shaw, but he's unfortunately might have just got an injury, and then uh. no, you you <laughs> just imagine the healthy. So Rob Shaw, so you kicking rumble out of the team all right who's next oh no see like <laughs> this is me. I'm, I, I, I don't know Rob if i could be, actually probably a six anyway i think i, I don't think know if i could be a gm i'm too sentimental to the boys no oh. i don't no no one's getting cut it's just we're just 
building the squad. It's hypothetical. Filling, filling in players. Yeah, like obviously there's some high name players like Rob Shot could pro- could be a good add and like Ashley Cooper and Guitar are great players. Yeah. Who's the, so that's who's, right. the who's the who's the Canadian that isn't on the arrows? that you would like to put on the arrows? Because there's a lot of Canadians around the league. So, or, or, or maybe who's the Canadian that we should be watching out for? Because you think that person, that kid's going to be really good. Ba- like Bailey, obviously, is a guy who I, I think is would be good on any team. Um, I like I, I, I rate Nakai Penny a lot. Uh, I, I don't know if he got injured or something in the last game, but I, I rate him quite a bit um, with Seattle um, as a... Canadian and yeah, I mean there's there's been some talk that I think last year we were saying that maybe Canada had the two best number sevens in the competition, right? Because with Lucas Brumbo and, and Nick Penny, you've got two really really good sevens that like a yeah. depth for Canada. And and Matt Pe- Heaton's playing good rugby too. So oh, he is, been... yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's yeah. yeah, a, a back, back rows of strength for North America right now. Yeah, they're all it's a bunch of sevens, and uh, they got Michael Smith in San Diego, who uh, I. Some play in our November kind of trials, and he was he was really good. He impressed me. Yeah, I think he was on the bench for the Legion on the weekend, but probably yeah, work, his way, work his way in there. Yeah, exactly. I think it was a we were watching that game, wondering if he was going to get on, but it was a really tight game, so maybe they held him off. Yeah, who who do you have this weekend, mate? We've got uh, New York in New York. New York in New York. How are you feeling yeah. about that one? Good. Yeah, we're we're. We're happy with how we played last week, so we're hoping if we can bring it in to uh, New York, we might have some success. They're playing some good rugby. They got really good set piece, and they like to sling the ball around too, so it'll attack from anywhere. Yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. ten Holland heads. He's he's in form, isn't he? He's oh, his, playing, his last, last two, two games were really good. Good, yeah. I mean, I mean, is that the sort of game where you're like, actually, let me play twelve and not fifteen, because the fifteen might be doing a lot of running, covering their their wide attack as well as their kick. Like they, they're really smart in how they play, right? They put a lot of pressure yeah. on them. Yeah, yeah. Like um obviously I'd be happy to play anywhere, but uh, well, good, good answer. Yeah. Good answer. Yeah, but uh yeah, we're well, excited to see what our lineup will be like for for the New York team. Right, it's gonna be a great uh matchup, you and Benny taking on um Will Leonard and uh Fussy Fuatai up there. Those two have been playing really well, but you they guys have, obviously yeah playing really well. That's going to be uh, Taylor Adams, Holland said, so you get the Kiwi on Kiwi again. Yeah, I think, just I think they might Robinson, know each other so, a little bit. Yeah, it's, just, it's a pretty tiny island, I think. Yeah, the, exactly. The degrees of separation are a little shorter there than they are for the rest of the world. But mate, we appreciate you jumping on the show. Um, again, congratulations on a great performance and uh, more importantly, good luck completing the PhD and, and making sure we never, ever have another global pandemic again. It's on your shoulders now. Uh, yeah. I need. Oh. I, I. I got. I got to try harder on that. Sorry about that, guys. One more question, Pat. I apologize. We've got sure, one no from worries. one of your fans. Huge, huge fans. Natalie Bolger. She wants yes. to know what advice can you give to other Atlantic Canadian players who don't get much high-level experience or exposure, and they want to be recognised. Um, Follow-up question. She said, "Can her nephews put your name on the back of their T-shirts?" And obviously, how much will that cost? I. I try fifty dollars a shirt is fair, <laughs> and then just we'll get your Venmo afterwards. But yeah, what do you think coming from the Atlantic side? Obviously, the the Pacific gets all the yeah. recognition uh, thanks, with BC. Thanks for the question, Natalie. Um, yeah, for for Natalie, yeah, her nephews no charge to put their my name on the back of uh, 
of the shorts for sure. But uh, the for Atlantic uh, Atlantic players, I'd like right now. Obviously, it's tough to get a lot of games in for COVID. So hopefully, that kind of starts to uh, slow down and we get more games for the Atlantic players. But it's kind of a feeder system. Try try to get your nose out there. Play club rugby. Um, get get involved with all the like provincial teams uh, levels so that those coaches will lead your name forward. And if you're, if you're working hard, they're going to lead your name forward. And uh, then you get to chance to perform against the Atlantic teams. And then you'll just keep trying to build forward through that. And uh, hopefully you get noticed by teams like the arrows and, uh, and the Canadian teams and stuff like that. Well said, mate. What about the pandemic? How are you going to stop that again? <laughs> I'll leave those questions to, uh, to my father. I think I'll, I'll hopefully, hopefully he'll have better, better answers. <laughs> His last name's not Fauci, is it? Just curious. No. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. Just checking. Just checking. No, it's all good, Pat. Hey, appreciate you jumping on. Um, really, again, just from, I think from everyone who listens to the show and fans around the entire league, just a massive thank you to you and the Toronto Arrows for the sacrifice you guys have made this year. It, it cannot be understated, the commitment that it takes to leave your home, leave your family and move down. Uh, not just to another city, to another country and settle up there. So obviously Bill Webb, Mark Winokur, you know, Chris Silverthorne making that happen and all you and the playing staff pass on our best. And we really do hope that you can get as much success out of this season as humanly possible, brother. Yes. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And for, further that question onto our, uh, or uh, thanks to Bill, if he's listening and Mark and all that. So they've done a great job getting us involved and in everything because we wanted to play as well. But yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. Yeah. Bill loves the show. Big fan. How you doing, Bill? Thanks, Pat. Appreciate it, mate. Get some rest and good luck this weekend against New York. Okay, thanks a lot. Appreciate it, guys. What a good guy. What a we've got a we've got some really smart rugby players. I mean, you've got him, Savetta, Brakeley. He said Lesage is a genius as well. So, I mean, there's got to be some other ones. I, think I mean, I mean, to be fair, Lucky is super smart too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think yeah, he's a cow guy, right? So there's there's a lot of so there's a lot of the best rugby comes from the best universities. So it's not that much of a surprise, but yeah, Pat, Pat was sharp. That guy, like, like I, I felt sorry because it, you know, we would ask him questions and he would think too deeply about it. We're like, no, 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 just, just the shallow. This is like, just the shallow answer is fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He won't sleep tonight. He'll be up thinking about all those. Uh, he'll, he'll be working on the COVID problem for me. He'll give me a call tomorrow and said, I figured it out. This That's is what right. you got to do. All right, let's go into our tactics section now. We've, we've touched on this already. Moving a playmaker to 12, it's not new to the game, but we're starting to see it throughout the league become more and more common, Pete. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, this, is a, this has been something that we've, some of the teams started, but teams have started moving that way, right? So, um, you know, we, we, Pat, Pat Parfrey, um, you know, moving a playmaker to 12, right? Uh, you have Nola. Um, you know, moving a playmaker to 12. Uh, San Diego, Dylan Audsley playing 12. Um, LA, Luke Burton playing 12. Houston, Sam Windsor playing 12. Um, Atlanta, Robbie Petzer playing 12, right? Uh, Austin, Kurt Morath playing 12. I mean, it's like, it's, it's really like kind of everywhere. Um, and all of those guys that I mentioned, except probably um, Audsley, although Audsley could probably do it, are really people that can play 10. And so what, the, what, what teams are doing is that they're putting their second playmaker in the back line at 12 
And it gives them a couple of things that allows them to be really effective. So it gives them that second playmaker option. So if there's a ruck in the middle, you can basically have a fly half either side. If it's huge amounts of stress on the defense, right? And I think actually you're going to see more of this, Dan, from scrums. Um, we saw this a little bit from San Diego started to do it and New York started to do it where they're using the new scrum law. And so now it used to be that there was like one side that you could attack really easily. You could attack going um, to the right because there wasn't the scrum half, but going to the left was hard. But now you can put a fly half on both sides and you can play. So it gives you options um, for attack. It allows you to play with more width. I mean, there were a couple of passes that Sam Windsor had that are these like beautiful skip passes from 12 that hits the 15 that can get you outside of the rush defense that everyone is trying to do. And of course it gives you another kicking option. I'm going to pick on Sam again. because I think he actually played that position really well um, where the ball comes out to him. Now what wings are taught is wings are taught when the fly half passes the ball, you're supposed to come up. Right. And then the fullback's supposed to come, come across. But if the fly half is passing to another kicker, when that wing comes up, it creates the space for the kick behind the wing. And so by having a playmaker and that 12 position, you're asking a lot more questions about the defense. But as we, you know, when we talk to Pat, the downside of it is you're much closer to the forwards of the opposition. You have to tackle a lot more. You have got to be more physical. It's, um, it's more difficult for you to get over the game line right? Because you have a smaller guy that maybe isn't such, such a good runner. And so, you know, and I did a bit for the all access um, on the FS2 where we talked about this. So, you know, you got to work out for your team. Most teams in their centers have a playmaker and um, a runner. And, you know, in, in the Southern Hemisphere approach is playmaker at 12 and runner at 13. And the Northern Hemisphere approach is big runner at 12 and playmaker at 13. And you can see that that's kind of what, um, uh, um, DC have it's what uh, um, it's what New York have right so they've got Will Leonard and Threaten Paloma at 12 those are your big defenders and big runners um, and then they you know they create space on the outside it helps you get over the game line so I think what this is saying Dan is that teams are seeing in the defense spaces out wide they're saying you know what if we we want to stretch that defensive line a little bit and the way that we can do that is by having a better handler um, at 12. And I think also, Dan, and we've talked about this over the first few years of MLR, we're seeing some more sophisticated kicking games involved, right? So there's actually a little bit more of a kicking strategy. I think that was always one of the knocks against MLR that we didn't really have great kicking strategies. And I think it's probably because we didn't have enough kickers on the field. But now when you've got, you know, Mac Mason and Kurt Morath at 10 and 12, you've got two great kickers, you can actually have a really strong kicking strategy. Well, I think it's also the evolution of the game here too. Uh, as you do one system of play, one style of play, That's you right. counter it with the defense and eventually you just evolve into having to do these things to, to gain territory. So, all right, mate, let's, uh, let's jump through the schedule for this upcoming week. It is a full schedule of games. So we'll start Saturday, 7 PM Eastern NOLA on the road against rugby ATL. So on Cox sports down NOLA WATL in Atlanta and the rugby network everywhere else. Also Saturday, two games, both kicking off at 9 p.m. Eastern, San Diego at L.A. on CBS Sports, Houston at Utah on AT&T Sports Center in Houston, KSL, the app there in Utah and TRN. Uh, Sunday, 2 p.m., Toronto, New York. This would be a great game. Madison yeah. Square Garden Network, TSN up in Canada and the Rugby Network everywhere else. 
Also on Sunday, two more games. New England will be at DC. We have the uh, long-awaited debut on Fox Sports 1. So that'll be a good one at Segra Field. And then late game on Sunday, Seattle at Austin. KBVO down there. Root up in the Pacific Northwest. And TRN everywhere else. All right. So, that's what? Hold what, on, hold on. So, so Saturday night's going to be nuts, right? So I think what I'm going to have to do... So... You know, Nola Atlanta, it's a game I like, like, I like, you know, I know both of those coaches pretty well and I, I, I like how they play this game. Remember, that was the game that no, that, that Rugby ATL shut down Nola last year. So that's a, yeah. and I know we're going to talk about this, but so I have to find a way to watch that game. Um, maybe my one-year-old son and I can watch it. But at nine o'clock, I'm going to have to have, or at 7 p.m. our time, kids are going to go to bed early on Saturday. That's what I think. Kids go to bed cool. early. Right. And then we'll put your game, right? The CBS San Diego LA game. I'll watch that on CBS on my cable. Yes, I still have cable, only really for sport, um, for cable. And then I'll have my laptop watching this Houston Utah game. I think that's what I'll have to do. Looks like it's a little bit easier on Sunday, just a little bit of an overlap, but two games at the same time on Saturday when the kids are in bed is like awesome, but it's going to have, I'll have to think about how I'm going to handle that. Yeah, hopefully that Toronto-New York game. It's an hour and a half old, so you... Yeah, maybe. so... You know, I think it's so going to be tight, so... Are, I think yeah. I might just have to miss the, the opening of... of uh, um, New England, New England DC. DC. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, stat boy. Come on in, buddy. Let's get an update on the pick'ems, because sorry. Right, just, this has become my favourite part of the show. Uh, yeah, hold on, hold on. I, I just want to say, the fact that knowledge of the game and understanding <laughs> the game doesn't lead to you doing well when you picks just tells you how competitive the league is. Okay. Or, I mean, um, you know, uh, I understand the fundamentals. It's just like the stock market. I, I only lost one game this last week, Pete. So, um, uh, but there's some interesting stats, uh, that I wanted to go through before we hit the, cause, cause Dan's going to love this. We got to, Gonna pause it a little bit. Um, so Watson Philip Katonga, 18th, 2020, uh, US collegiate draft and undrafted free agent class guy to uh to make Very his cool. debut in 2021 20, season. He played uh five minutes for the Guiltinis against uh uh Houston. I mean, that's that's just a lot. Like, I think this first class is gonna is is going obviously it's making its mark just in their their rookie year but they're gonna i think they're gonna make a mark um yeah. well, well we talked about Connor Mooneyham, right yeah mm-hmm. you know, um, he's uh he's doing a good job he's played uh every single minute um of the first five weeks for for austin um yeah. there's some so some interesting stats i wanted to ask you guys about uh and so we had a Toronto guy on, on the show. Um, so who do you think has the most breakdown steal? Well, obviously we know who, who that is, but how many breakdown steals does Lucas Rumball have? He might have 13. You gotta do the price the right thing. You gotta be like yeah, higher yeah, or lower. Yeah. Higher or lower. Lower. Higher. higher. 15. Pete got 14. it. 14. Pete got it. Exactly. I got exactly. Oh, the game's over. It's like I, because I didn't, I I didn't put these stats in the file, so you couldn't see them. And so, 
I, so, so I'll tell you, I was looking at him for um, uh, my an all access segment that actually ended up not being aired, and that was two games ago. And I knew he had eight at then, and so I knew he had three today and I, uh, this week, and I think he had two the last week. So it's not. It, it was. I was actually tracking it a little bit, Aaron. I'm sorry. Oh man, I, I thought I was going to get close. You but... thought you were going to get me. But uh, so, so fun. who has the second most breakdown steals? Oh, and what position do they play? Ooh, this this. What position do the the third guy um, ends up being tied? But the third guy, based on alphabet, plays the same Sec- position as the other. Seconds one. a tie. Seconds a tie. I'll go. I'll go. Hooker. Uh, well, Pete got the position right. So what did he say? I'm on a roll. He says scrum half. The steals, huh? Yeah. So. So Andy Ellis, um, uh, Andy Ellis is third with so, four. Yeah, okay, but only third. Third on what? Third on alphabet or third actually? Um, so uh, he's tied with uh, for third with Jamison Fiana Schultz and okay. Pawasa Wakanabau okay. at four. So who is now who's the other scrum off? It has to be someone that's played a lot. Uh, uh, Harrison Goddard's played a bunch. No, Basque has been hurt. Um, um, let me see if he Harrison's even in the top. Carlo, uh, Carlo Denison, he's played a lot. Oh, yeah, he's had a few steals. John Poland has played a lot. No, they're not in the top 25. Oh, gee. Uh, <laughs> now we're just going to all the up. Okay, put us out of our misery, stat boy. And he hasn't played every game. Rowan hey, House. House. Oh, House. Yeah. Five. Well, I mean, like I said, oh. with New York, um, uh, Andy Ellis had nine opposition breakdown involvements. And so I think that like their, their philosophy is to go is to go get it. And scrum halves, if you run the right support, like if you run a certain support line, you'll often be very similar into a very similar position as the seven because you you can scrape behind. And so if a tackle is made, a good scrum half should find themselves always between the ball and the try line. So if a tackle happens, you should be you, you should be right there. So it's not that surprising. The big surprise is there aren't that many other sevens up there. That's the big surprise. So how many? Guys, do you think that arrows have uh, in the top twenty-five for attacking rock arrivals? Attacking rock arrivals. Um, well, probably, they, um, they, they probably have. So this is one of these questions that is like, well, right, but how many rucks have they had? Right. Like it's like 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 they may have had just a lot more rucks than anyone else. Um, so it's the so the player who's fourth in attacking rock arrivals is the same player who is first in defensive rock arrivals that should be an easy one so that's lucas rumble yeah yeah um they have they have five of the the top 14 in attacking rock arrivals i i'd like to know like I'd like to know how the how the other teams stack up on total rocks though so percentage yeah. you want a percentage yeah, yeah. so so the, the interesting thing have, like the highest rocks in the league. The interesting thing for I mean in attacking rock arrivals only Nate Brakeley's on this list for New York. They New York has does have four guys on um the for the top four top 25 attacking rock arrivals. You have Andy Ellis at 24, Brakeley at 23, Kara Pryor at 20 and then and this is the amount they've had and then Will Leonard at, at 20 defensive rock arrivals. So, okay. um, But getting to the no, bid. No, that's not. That's not get getting to the, to the bidness. 
Yep. It's not getting. No, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I, 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 I'd like to you better hurry. I knew you the number. You I knew the number of steals that Lucas Rumble had. I knew. <laughs> Pete, you, okay, you didn't. You didn't. Good. You didn't move anywhere. You're still thirty seconds. <laughs> yeah, because you can't. I can't go any further down. But like, like I, <laughs> I had a good bottom. weekend, and I'm only two spots behind you, so I'm at thirty-four. Okay. Um, uh, moving on up, baby. But but Dan goes up. One spot. Where you at, Larry Weissel? Larry said he would come on. I saw on social media. Larry said, Where is Larry? Uh, so so Why we are on the show. So Dan is, is number one. Dan is second right now. Um, number two. Larry is no longer first in the world, though. So he's going to have to put in some work um, this weekend. Uh, but uh, Dan, has a, Dan has a chance to. to, to Larry's. Flip. Two rounds. Aaron's got a good lead. Two rounds is all you need. Is it, yeah, Aaron, Aaron, like, is it possible that the league might cancel because of COVID again? Like, no, I, feel, no. I feel like I want to I, I can tell you season. that. <laughs> I can tell you that um, we are doing way better than the NHL. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's all I can tell you. I, I think everything, when I talk to teams, and, I mean, when you guys talk to teams, I think we're in a – we have done really well. Um, Knock on wood. Um, you know, and I, I think we're going to continue to do really well, uh, throughout the league, because I think, especially for the one team that I'm not saying they wouldn't do really well, but the one team that has it the hardest is Toronto. And I mean, if you listen to Pat Barfrey in our interview, he's, I think they're adjusted. I think now we're going to see Toronto, um, the rest of the way. So. Cool. Yeah. Let's make some picks. I, I, I got I to tell both of you, if, if you would have said to me before we kicked a ball this season, we'd get through five weeks without a single game cancellation to COVID, probably would have taken that bet to say, hey, no, one game. You know, we had the scare yeah. in week one, but to get through five weeks with not a cancellation, like the NFL didn't get through that. Uh, it's, it's, it's impressive, man. The, the league's done a great job here. They have. They have. All right, let's get All to... Right. Pickums, let's get the pickums going. All right. All right, Nola on the road, rugby ATL. They're in the snake pit. What do you think? It's a tie. I'm just going to go for like whatever I don't I think mean, it's going to be. <laughs> like, like, now, this is look, this is a great game. Um, this is going to be known as attack against ATL's defense. Nola comes off a, a, a very tight win. Rugby ATL comes off a very tight loss. Um, ATL sign another top tight head prop. I mean, they've, their scrum is going to be really, really strong. Nola has some um, good depth in the scrum as well. Uh, it's, this is going to be really, it's, it's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, as Kura worked his fly half in the first week, ended up running the ball a little bit too much in the second week. So you want to see, um, we know we might see Petzer at 10 as ATL try, try and work that out. I think Nola's a little bit more settled in their back line. You know, I think that Rugby ATL have a penalty problem. I don't know that they can solve it. Nola have a big foot in Carl Meyer. Mm. I think Nola squeaked this one out. Um, ATL games tend to be close, just like Atlanta, but I think this game, it's not going to be, I think, well, I think it's going to be a close game. So I think ATL, I think Nola 22, um, ATL 20. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And it could come down to a penalty kick or a, a bounce of the ball here. This right, and, and so it's obvious that Rugby ATL are going to kick a penalty on the last play of the game to win just so my picks get screwed up because that's what happened last week. If 
probably I'm, I'm probably leaning more towards the home side. I just I just think with that defense that ATL play, not having an experienced ten, they've run into good tens in Mac Mason, and they've run into Holland's head who had an absolute blinder. I think running in here and and Guillermo stepping in there and trying to fill that role for Nola now, that defense is going yeah, to yeah. really make it a, a long night. Well, um, I mean, um, but they have um, Dirksen. Yeah, I, I, did, did he get much time on the weekend? Yeah, a little bit of time. Yeah, um, how do you look? Uh, he he looked okay. I think got like fourteen or fifteen minutes. So yeah. so not 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 a huge amount. The one thing I would say that Nola has this year that they didn't have last year when they played ATL is they have JPG plus C. So they actually have a big runner in the centers that can get them over the game line, even against that defense. And they didn't have that last year. And so yep. that, that, that will give them probably a bit of a better launch platform. Hopefully it's try too. That's two weeks in a row. They've had last week. It was wet. It wasn't raining, but this week it was like super. It was like, right. I'm sure everyone's seen the footage. Now there were swimming pools on the field. <laughs> so, all right. So we differ there. All right. San Diego at LA, the Coliseum. What do you think on this one? I mean, it's LA, right? It's LA. I, I mean, I think so. So, if we if we think about the game, um, you know, and I, and I talked about this um, when we uh, when LA Houston, um, I think that the uh, LA might have a little bit of an Achilles here on their set piece, but they've got some good depth. Um, you know, Gitto starts this game. This is a big game for LA, right? The local rivalry. Um, I think they'll be up. San Diego, um, Nate Osberger, man, he looked good coming back. Um, it, it, like big, big impact. So, you know, I think San Diego, but then they lose all three, mm-hmm. right? So they can't kind of break. I mean, every week they're, they're, they're losing someone. So, you know, maybe San Diego at 100% with all of their players comply when they don't have that. I think, I think it's going to be LA. It's going to be a high scoring affair. San Diego have some firepower there as well. So um, I think, but I think it's something like, you know, what's the least that LA has scored so far? Oh, that's a good like, question. It's got to be 40, 40 something. <laughs> so I think they've cracked. I want to say it was 40. 42 against New England. Yeah. 40, 43 so, against New England. Yeah. So, so they're going to be in the 40s. So it's going to be, 45-27 LA. Maybe San Diego get a bonus point for the four tries. So they've gone 42, 57, 43, 48. Yeah. So, yeah. They 45. like scoring tries. defense was pretty good. They're, San Diego's athletic enough to live with LA, right? They're athletic enough in the forwards. I think that they're, you know, um, uh, you know, so I think I think that they, you know, they'll be able to live with them. But, it, it'd be, it, I mean, it'll be a good game. I think it'll be a really exciting game. Yeah, it will be. Can't pick this one. Sorry, I'll give it to you offline. Okay, what, what you mean? Houston at Utah? No, no, no. San oh. Diego, LA. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. That That's right. Uh, Houston at Utah, I'll go first here. Listen, not popular. I think the things that Houston do well, Utah don't play well when they're faced with it. So uh, I, I, I think there is a piece of the puzzle missing in Utah, and you and I text earlier this week about this i think it's leadership i think they're missing a senior player that can just galvanize that side when they need it most and it comes down to execution of just having a cool hand somewhere in that back line or somewhere in that forward pack who can just settle the troops down and get the job done under pressure that's just i i don't don't know who that is for utah right now and so they're going to win games but i think houston uh when they play a very simplistic style of rugby stick to their game plan, 
they do a good job. I think they're going to get a win on the road here. I'm going to go the Sabre Cats in a tight one, uh, 23-18. Yeah, I mean, um, I think this is a uh, interesting um, game because I think it's a little bit both of these teams. We're not sure what to make of them. Like, how good is Houston and, and how good is Utah? And we'll find it out, um, like, this week, right? So uh, so the question is, do you believe, like, the Utah are the first two games, all they are is, a, is, is an execution or two away from being maybe 4-1? Um, you know, a couple of lineouts that they missed, things like that, drop balls. Or do you see Houston as being on this upward swing and that they really um, – you know, took it to LA and they're really good. I, um, um, you know, I think Houston have done a really good job. I feel like LA may have looked past them a little bit and Houston took advantage of that. I think Utah, I agree with you about, about the leadership. I'm not sure who's really stepping up there, but they're a, they're, they're a dynamic team. And I think that, you know, Sean Pittman's done a good job. Scrum half, I think is a question for them for them to be able to play the way that they really need to play. So um, maybe Sean Davies can put, put the boots on. Maybe. Yeah, interesting. That, I mean, he's, that, <laughs> that would change a lot of things. That, you know, the best comparison I could give you is, is Utah is like a Lamborghini without a steering wheel. And yeah. that's kind of how I see them at the moment. Yeah, They're just but, high power, beautiful sports car, can go 100 miles an hour. But with no steering wheel, they've got no direction and they crash and burn. And, and you know, you just look at the leadership all over Houston, right? Yeah. Yep, so, forward but, pack. But, but if you choose Houston, I can't choose Houston. I'm so far behind you. I have to go to Utah. The only way I can catch up is being... Mate, you, don't have to, you don't have to worry about me. You've got to get through the rest of the 30s, the 20s, <laughs> the teens, and then top 10, we can talk. So I, right, think, I, think Utah, I think Utah wins this game. I think it's a high scoring game. I think, oh, you do. I think okay. yeah, I, I, I think I think this is going to be in the 30s. I think that um, Utah wins this, but I think it's like 34 30. I still love watching Mike Taylor play rugby. Oh, yeah, I know exactly. Oh, so, so much fun to watch him play. All right, Toronto at New York. This is going to be a good game. Great game. This is going to be a great game. Um, like this is this is one of the games I'm really, really looking forward to. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I think Toronto's back. I think that they've found their groove. Um, I don't think New York played as well against DC as they did against Atlanta. They've certainly got um, some more strength. They've got some more, you know, it'd be interesting to see what they do with Ben Foden and Troy Lockyer and if they can put them both on the field somewhere. Um, but I think I think Toronto, I, I think, you know, we're beginning to see the Toronto of old. They're settled down in, in Atlanta. Um I think Toronto win this game. I think they win it 35-25. Yeah, again, this one can go for either way. I'm actually being super impressed with New York, just, just how versatile their game planning has been. They've been a little bit of a chameleon with the way they've played. And, and Holden's had touched on that last week where they would run and then and they'll kick. And it's like they're very hard to game plans against because they can execute both very efficiently. Um the big question now, this one is how many stitches will Ben Lesage get this week? Five, seven, well, I think, nine? I, I actually think the big question, and I'm beginning to doubt my pick a little bit because I think New York might have the better pack, maybe the better tight five. Mm, um, yeah. It's know, better than Breakley. It's yeah. a great lock pairing. Well, I mean, but they played you know, play Breakley at six, right? And so, 
you know, I think that they've got, um, I think Savannah's a big upgrade. I think, you know, obviously we know Dylan Fawcett, they're, you know, very good scrum. I think, I think it'll be interesting if Toronto can have parity in the type five, I think they win the game. I think if New York, both in the scrum and the line out can get the edge, um, I think New York do it. But I still think, I'll, I'll still pick Toronto, but I think it might be a little bit closer. Yeah. My, my big question is who challenges Savetta at the lineup for Toronto? Yeah. Like who, who, who is the, the person? I mean, Mike Shepard. What, Shep? 6'3", six, 6'4"? Six, yeah, they, uh, they don't have anyone. There's, the, um, uh, there's Paul... Uh, um, Cellini? Cellini. Yeah, I think Cellini's 6'4", maybe. Yeah. I think all their locks are 6'4", six, 6'5", six, like the tallest one. Savetta's... Six, uh, seven, six. Six. Six, seven, six. Mm. Yeah, six, six, seven when he does this, and he's six, six, eight when he does this. Uh, well, that's it's right. a podcast, so people can't Audio. Like, oh, what? <laughs> right. Dan, uh, Dan did the turtle, and then, I don't know, the giraffe. Peacock. <laughs> peacock. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go I'm gonna go New York here at home. Um, I, I have a feeling New York is going to be one of the teams that come out of the East. I just think they're built. To, to I, I, like, I don't disagree with that, but I just, you know, Toronto, when they click, they're very, even even though player for player, you look and you say the other team's better. I think Toronto is one of these great teams that is yeah. the sum is, is greater than the whole. And if they click, I think they're very, very difficult to play. I mean, we saw that in the first half against LA, like, you know, 10-9, they, yeah. they were down. It was, only, it was only the yellow card that was really the difference in that game. So this is a real quality Toronto team. And ta- Taylor Adams on his day. Yep. One of the best tens going around. Yep. And you add in, like we talked about, Montero, who's just an absolute nightmare on the wing. Tuka led at fullback. He looked, he's, he's getting more and more comfortable. And there was always going to be a transition period. He's looking better and better. This, this will be a really close game, but I am yep. going to stick with New York, a little home cooking there. But uh, I'll say uh, 30, 35, 33, a real squeaker. All right. New England at DC, Pete. Hmm. Isn't it your turn? I'm Go calling first. this game, so I can't do this one. Yet. You're Sorry. This game. Um, I think. Um, hmm. Interesting. I, you know, uh, this is a roster one. If I was picking this one, you really got to see what twenty-three are coming from both sides, like. How does how does DC pull up from that New York game? I, how does New England pull up from the NOLA game? And then yeah, I mean, I you know, it, I think DC. So I think I think this is a really close game. Um, I New England have played well in spurts, but have not yet convinced me that they can play for longer periods. Um, you know, not that much different from DC, but you know, Jason Robinson is back. Um, he's, he's had that warm-up game. You know, you can see him do, I think, a little bit more. Um, they need to fix their midfield defence. So um, they need to work out what they want to do there. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to go with New England on this one. I think I know they've had some some cavalry coming late, and I think they're going to come into the game a little bit more. So I think I'm going to pick, pick New England. I'm not convinced with the DC backline um, defensively. So... You see yeah. the just just see the big unit they put on the train and trial contract today. The offensive lineman yeah. from yep. Kansas. Yeah. Woo. That's 
Well, a guy that like played rugby in Tonga, right? So this isn't like someone that's new, but he is yep. big. And uh, you got to think the training at a Division One college football, like his feet, his power. Yeah. Now, if you can, and and the coaching staff up there, uh, you know, Ryan Martin, you and I both hold him in the highest regard. They can just mold that clay. Well, and so late I year, think, yeah, oof. like someone like Ryan Martin is the perfect guy that you want to go to if you want to learn the game. He's a real teacher. He's a he's a real expert on skill development and skill acquisition. Like he's. He's like, you know, some of the stuff that he puts out on Twitter about the trains that, that they do, he's really thoughtful about it. I think yeah. that he is, he's, he's the perfect place. And I think you're going to see that with New England. I think you're going to see guys just get better when they go there. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this before, how Ryan Martin is like a long-term selection, right? Because you're like yeah. three years from now, you know, these, these young guys that we have coming in. But I think, I think New England can pull this one off. I think it's going to be a close game, but I think it's um, New England 25, DC 21. All right, and I'll give. I don't know what uh, Corbs's contract situation is with LA, but um, if I'm New England, I give Corbusero a call and say, "Hey, if you're not under contract, if you're a free agent, you can come out to Boston for a week. A week with Corbs. This guy, Corb, Corbs, is an animal when it comes to coaching the scrum. I'd, uh, yeah, I don't want to violate any contracts here. I don't want to start any East Coast, West Coast." Uh, wars but uh that would be the guy i would call there's none better right now to get in getting that guy and give just five days non-stop scrummaging the the dark arts he'll be ready to roll all right seattle at austin last game of the weekend well i, I shouldn't even go first because we all know where i'm going so yeah i mean you, i mean and i'm going to join you on this i think yeah. i think there are some real question marks about seattle um, I actually think they really miss just like you, Brad Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> so much. You have no idea. Um, but, you know, I, I don't like the way that they're constructing their team. Like they're very much now one-off runners. Um, their back row has lost all balance, right? So they had three big ball runners. Um, they don't do enough, I think, at the breakdown. Like Seattle's, you know, the seawall was based on contesting at the breakdown with people like um, Vili Tolotau coming into the yeah. breakdown, slowing that down. They don't do that anymore. Um, you know, they don't really have any playmakers in the back line, right? They had Ben Seymour at 15. Lots of questions going on, on, on with Seattle. You know, you can't, you know what it's like, Dan, when you come off a loss like they did against Toronto, there's going to be some whispers, right? Like winning, winning um, solves everything and losing exposes everything. And so I think that it's going to be, it'll be a hard one to bounce back, especially with Austin. Um, like really like, like three games in a row, like all of them have been close, but Austin are like a gritty team. Austin remind me of Seattle in the first two years. Like they don't necessarily play great stuff, but they're still really the number one defense in the league. Their attack is so, so, but I don't. Right. Right. All of their games are low scoring. Right, so like they, they don't score much, and the other team don't score much. They, they they're probably like they're one of those teams you just don't want to play against. Like they don't let you play, right? So I think Austin wins this game. I think they win it twenty to ten. Yep, hard to argue with that. It's going to be. I think they're going to get it done down there. Uh, they're looking better every week. Connor Mooneyham just getting the ball. Okay. Jeff Hasler goes down with the I think it's broken hand or wrist. Wrist. You're like, oh, that's going to hurt, and then Connor Mooneyham. Wow, Sam Harris, what a genius picking him up in that dispersal draft. Oh. Yeah. 
Good stuff. All right, Pete, that wraps it up. That wraps it up. Uh, any, any reviews? Any hits on the old socials? You got anything? You're you looking tragically now? Oh, either one. I always forget. Yeah, I'll look right Aaron. now. I checked Aaron. today. Nothing new. Nothing new. Come on, guys. Come on. What's the last one? Oh, it's still that same one. I'm going to get my oh, family well. to start leaving reviews. Yeah, do that. Do that. Family, friends. As, as long as they're good, though. So be selective with your family there. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. Get on. Get on. Larry, I'm coming for you, buddy. I, I said it on the chat on Superbrew. I'm saying it here again. This is your last warning. I'm coming for you. It's going to be. Uh, Look, I'd just like to point out that, that the only reason that you're close to Larry is the Gilgronies have gone on a three game winning streak. Like, if they go on a three game right. winning streak, then you start. Like, that's it. That's, where, that's probably the difference, right? It's a really good point. I may actually like be 30. 31st if they haven't yeah, yeah if it wasn't for the Gilgronies that you automatically pick regardless of how good they are I'll I'll, I'm on. bitter about, about you and, and no, I'm very happy for you Dan I'm happy for your success listen I went 16 didn't win a game second second on the ladder right now loving life so alright folks that wraps it up for episode 86 for the Professor Pete Steinberg our producer Aaron Castro I'm Dan Powell this has been the MLR kickoff Episode 86 of MLR Kickoff brought to you by shopmlr.com, powered by The Rugby Shop.